Hello, it's Jose Zayas once again. And can you believe that we've uh, been doing video teaching, video gatherings for close to three months now? And I'm kind of lost track and I long for the day. I long for the day to see you face to face and to share God's word together and respond together and chat afterwards and eat copious amount of donut holes and grapes and uh, be a family in person. And, but until then, I thank God for this avenue. I thank God for Kevin Hart and the whole team and the ability just to be in your living room or whatever room you're in right now and to think about things that matter. Well, if you're new or just visiting, welcome. If you've been with us, we're in a series called The Way of Jesus. And we're in the middle of uh, thinking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And we've been looking at Matthews 5, 6, and 7. We're still in Matthew 5. And we're going slow on purpose, especially if you've caught the last few weeks. We looked at anger and murder. And we're going to read that same text again. We've thought about forgiveness. And now we want to think about the result of forgiveness. And so let's just start by reading the text. It's been the same one for three weeks. And we'll just keep reading it until we exhaust the goodness, okay? So Matthew 5, verse uh, 17. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, and notice this one, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle the matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last uh, penny. It's, it's interesting that the Lord in his goodness led us to this text at, our, at this time in our national history, and really it's made global news. And when you think about all sorts of relationships, particularly race relations, relations, we see that Jesus is speaking to us. Now, he's saying, don't murder, obviously. We know that's wrong. He's saying, forgive, learn to forgive, walk in the pattern of forgiveness. And we've looked in depth. Jesus is saying, take the initiative. Whose responsibility is it to take the initiative? It's his followers. He's speaking to his followers. When there's brokenness, what we can do, now there's lots we can't do, what we can do is take the initiative to come to God and to make sure our heart is right, and then go to the person that has wronged us or we have wronged, and to take steps in that direction. And I think the key, and we mentioned in verse 24, is first go and be reconciled. So last week we saw that forgiveness is about the event. It's about, it's about the hurt. I have been wounded for whatever reason, or, or you have been wounded, or you inflicted it. So whether it happened to you or you did it, uh, forgiveness is about not looking lightly about that event, because that event will keep you stuck whether it's in a pattern of unforgiveness in your soul. And the Bible's really clear. How can God even answer our prayers? It, it keeps us from closeness with God when we harbor unforgiveness. 
But that's not where it ends. Uh, Jesus says, go be reconciled. So uh, we're gonna do the same thing that we did last week. What does the Bible say about reconciliation? What is it? It's, it sounds like a big word and definitely in, in our current vocabulary in the national scene, people are talking about how can we bring racial reconciliation and all sorts of reconciliation with all the brokenness that's going on. We're gonna look at that first and then we're gonna spend more time today uh, looking at steps to take, because I think without a grid, uh, it's hard to take the first foot forward. All right, what does the Bible say? Well, if you look at the Old Testament, it's been fun to study, and you think of the word reconciliation, you almost can't find it. The concept is there in that all of the Old Testament sacrifices, and, and, and the word forgiveness is usually used, but the Old Testament sacrifices were all about bringing people who are far from God and separated because of their sin back into right relationship with God. So the concept's there. But if you have a new international version like I read, you're actually not gonna see the word in English translated out of Hebrew, you're not gonna see the word reconciliation. Concept, but it's more subtle. It's not to the New Testament, and Jesus, if you're reading from you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out, Jesus is the first one to bring up the word, and then Paul's gonna pick up on it, and it comes about 17 times that he's gonna use it in his letters to churches about thinking through what it means to be reconciled. Simple definition, definition it's about restoring broken relationship. So when you read in the Bible, there are nuances, but the basic gist is when I read reconciliation, it's referring to restoring broken relationships. And I'm just going to give you a few. We're not going to study these, but you're going to see it play out. Romans 5 verse 10 says this, For if while we were still God's enemies, broken relationship, we were reconciled, relationship restored to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through Jesus's life? Interesting note, when uh, the Bible uses reconciliation, it is almost always talking or hinting at us being reconciled with God. And that makes sense because the Bible is the story of God coming to bring his people back. And so there's not a lot of Bible verse about how we actually reconcile like you reconcile with me and me with you. The Bible hints mostly at how we were God's enemies and through God's work, God takes the initiative in Jesus to restore broken relationship so that we're back, okay? Here's another one. When Paul's writing the church at Corinth and he's thinking about the nature of his work, whenever we're sharing the good news with people, and, you know, our, our uh, vision as a church and mission is to help people or helping people experience life in Jesus. It's what we're about. What are we actually doing? What does it mean to help people experience life in Jesus? It's the ministry or the work of reconciliation. We're God's enemies and yet God wants us to live in family relationship, in beautiful relationship. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And then notice verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled, restored, broken relationship, us to himself through Jesus Christ, and gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, be restored in your, relation, in your broken relationship to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, tons of words there, but I want us to see the full breadth of it. God reconciled us in Jesus. He restored our broken relationship. And then Paul says, because we're right, he's given us the work, the beautiful work to partner with God so that they could be made right with God that's the ministry of reconciliation. And then he, has, he says about the message of reconciliation. What? You, because I've been made right with God, you ought to be made right with God. That is the thrust of, of what reconciliation means in the New Testament. And I can go to a lot more examples and I won't for time because I want to get into the practical part. Last week we talked about forgiveness. And yet, how do we take steps towards that? I want to focus on that today. But here's the big picture. Whenever we think about human relationships being made right with God, remember, forgiveness begins with God. That was last week. And so in the same way, reconciliation begins not with us. It begins with God. The best way for human relationships to be made right again is when both parties surrender their lives to Jesus. Now that's simplistic because not everyone's going to do that. But if you want to look at the most healthy reconciliation in human relationships, the most healthy expression is going to be when both recognize they have broken life with God. They've walked away. They've offended God. They need forgiveness. And when you have two people who have been forgiven by God, and humbly recognize they are in the wrong often, I think that's the best template for two people or two parties or two groups, uh, which in, in essence, uh, to go ahead to application, when it comes to race and the differences, what do we need to do? The greatest thing we can do is to share the love of God in Jesus. This is gospel work because when people recognize their sin and offense to God, and to others and receive his forgiveness and receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna be in the best place possible to work through our human, our racial, our ethnic, our economic, and all of our differences. We're gonna be in the best place ever when our heart has been made new. Jeremiah 31, a new heart. And this time the law of God is written not out there, it's written on our heart. And so this is the time for us to lovingly, humbly, proactively share good news with people. What Jesus is doing in us, how he's changing us, because this leads to human reconciliation. Now, our, our mission as a church is to help people experience life in Jesus. And so how, how, do we, how do we work this out? Well, there is a text, and then we'll go to super practical steps we could take. There's a text that leans in on reconciliation, right, restored relationship with God, leading to humans, uh, you and I, making things right. And it's Ephesians 2. And this, that will lead us towards how we can actually live this out in our day. Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 16. It says this, For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside 
in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, notice, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Again, lots of words, so much context, and we don't have time, but I want us to notice the graphic. Two groups with a dividing wall. And, and here he's writing to a real church. Uh, and in their culture, there was a real ethnic division between those who were Jewish and those who were not Jewish. Ethnic in that the way they lived, what they ate, didn't eat, how they practiced life, all of that was so different. Those who followed the Bible, those who followed Yahweh, the Jewish people, and then in turn the Christians, and those who did not. And so when people started following Jesus, even in the church, there were real divisions. You had people who were saying, you shouldn't eat that, you're a Christian. You shouldn't drink that, you're a Christian. You shouldn't do that, you're a Christian. And you had others saying like, I love Jesus and I don't feel like my following Jesus requires me, requires me to do X, Y, Z. And so you had real, 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 real differences. And they were all in mostly small house churches. So think of your community group if you're a part of one. So they're not like arguing and debating in groups of hundreds. There's like 30 of them. And they're trying to live this out. And both are trying to honor the Lord. And, and notice what Paul reminds them. Jesus is the one who broke that, he broke that dividing wall in himself, in Jesus's body on the tree. Yes, he paid for our sin in full, but he also provided the way for one new humanity. These are two different groups with two different views and two different ideologies and two different ways of living. And what Jesus's goal was not, hear me, not to create one million different groups who do their own thing, but rather beautifully weave us together into one new humanity. Not where we all look the same, not where we all act the same, but we all are reconciled the same. Our broken relationships are brought together because of Jesus and because of the cross. This is possible and this is beautiful. It is possible. I'm going to speak now Jesus follower to Jesus follower because there are instances where someone doesn't care about Jesus, doesn't care about the Bible, doesn't care about you and an ongoing restored from brokenness relationship to wholeness is going to be increasingly challenging the further someone is from the life of God. I'm not saying it's impossible. It is possible, but it's gonna become challenging because when it comes to how to come together, if you're coming from God's vision and values and they're not, you can see where things are gonna break down. But just because we're Christian, I think Ephesians 2 reminds us, doesn't mean we always get along. Christians don't like each other. Christians hurt each other. Christians speak evil of each other, myself included, and Christians choose not to reconcile. Uh, you ever hear of a, a church split? It's, you know, if you want to be fancy, we multiplied. Well, so often a, a church situation isn't a multiplication. It was, I got mad at them and they got mad at me and I was right. No, I was right. And then, you know what? Here's what we need to do. Forget you. Let's go do our own thing. And some would suggest, well, well, they all worked it out in time. I'm going to suggest that's baloney. And that's not true. And so often 
the hurt and the pain within the church, I'm speaking church to church, Christian to Christian here, is left unchecked, unresolved, and there are all sorts of seeds that grow into plants that are not fruitful as a result of that. Now, here's the beautiful thing. It's not God's heart. It's not God's way. That's the reality. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus to make sure they stop it, that they nip it at the bud, that they don't walk in the path of unforgiveness and they don't leave wounds open and undealt with. And God's heart for us is to deal with it. And so how are we going to deal with it? Let's look at Jesus. And then I have four things Upon looking at Jesus, four things we're going to need to remember when we step into it, and at least four things that we can do. But Jesus weaves in. He doesn't use the word reconciliation, but he implies it. In Matthew 18, you have this short statement from Jesus about what happens when we sin against one another, and there's a brokenness. Look at Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And I think this is a beautiful pattern that we could work out and practice in all sorts of ways. Uh, if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So, quote, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I love it. Jesus is quoting the Bible. He's like, there is, there's a heart of God. There's a Bible way to do this. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus is saying, what, what do we do when there's brokenness? He's speaking in particular believer to believer. He's saying, in the church, brother or sister. It's hard to apply this fully to those outside the faith in its full, because again, they're not coming from the same reference point and they're not coming, coming from the same values. It's possible, it's just harder. But let's just stick with the church. Confront one another, one-to-one. -one. Uh, that doesn't mean do an end run. It doesn't mean talk to your other friend. It means now you can have another friend pray for you. Like, hey, I'm, gonna con I'm confessing. I'm having trouble with this brother or sister. Man, we're not, we're not working this out. Pray for me. I'm going to go. And, but he's like, no, you go and, and reconcile. Bring, bring peace. But they may not. Uh, okay, then bring a few people and talk it through implied in person. Uh, okay, that, that didn't work. Okay, bring it to the larger group of faith family. And, and then if it, I love it. Jesus is so truth-filled and pragmatic. If it still doesn't work, which implies sometimes people choose for whatever reason not to make things right. Or not to repent, not to reconcile. If that, if that happens, he even gives us a pathway. Uh, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, that does not mean discount them, hate them, speak evil. It's the tax collectors and, um, and, and, and the pagans were not treated as close family. And so someone didn't believe in the word of God and practice their faith, you wouldn't invite them to dinner five nights a week. They, they, were, they were treated with respect, but as outsiders and not as inside family. And so Jesus is even leaving room there may be come a time where, where you forgive, but yet you, you don't draw them close. The important thing to remember is Jesus says, just like Matthew 5 in Matthew 18, we take the initiative. And that's the heart. And so if you're struggling with someone or know some other people struggling, we need to start with initiative. Are we leaving it unchecked? 
Are we stuffing it? Are we ignoring it? Are we making excuses for it? If we are, and we all do, hear me, I'm not pointing fingers here, I'm thinking about me. But when we are in that spot, it begins with the heart. God, help me to take the initiative to speak the truth in love, one-to-one, party-to-party, and give me the grace and mercy to bring another person. If the first time it doesn't work, I try again. And then bring a larger group of people if it doesn't work, and then try again. And then bring it to a larger group of people if it doesn't work, try again. And God, I, I pray that we don't end up with a scenario where we leave things unresolved. This is work, and hear me, this is messy, this is inconvenient, this is time-consuming, and this is the heart of God. I told you when Jesus is speaking to us in this message to his people in the Sermon on the Mount, it's gonna get, it's gonna get in our face. It's gonna deal with uncomfortable things. And so Jesus is saying to us, the Spirit is saying to us, take initiative, try, try again. Now, when we do it, four things I want you to know because I love you and I recognize we're in various places and I want you to say, go and do it without some sort of guideline to comfort you, encourage you and guide you along. I mentioned a book last week. I would recommend it. It's a bit of a long read. Uh, it's Forgiving and Reconciling Bridges to Forgiveness and Reconciliation by uh, Everett Worthington. And we'll give you a link somewhere so that you can get it. And I've compiled some thoughts from him and his experience as a counselor and as an educator. Gary Bashirs is a mentor, a theologian, pastor, and friend, and other experiences that I've had. And I've put together four. Are they the best? No. Are they good? Time will tell. Are they the Bible? Absolutely not. Okay, but we have to move from Bible hearing to, to practice. So these things may be helpful if, if they are great. First thing, and write it down, reconciliation involves risk. So when we're thinking about someone that we're not like in a good spot with, we just need to know when we step out in faith, this is, this is risky. Are they going to be willing? Are they going to respond well? Uh, am I going to be able to hold myself together? Do I have the confidence to, to work through the process? It's, it's risky. Remember, Jesus said, meet one-to-one, -one, meet three-to-one, meet the whole church to one. Try, try, try. It, it involves risk. It involves steps. Second thing, reconciliation is not always possible. The Bible is emphatic and we have so much about forgiveness. And I want to make that distinction. Forgiveness is about you dealing with the hurt. I can forgive you even if you refuse to reconcile. Reconciliation is about restoring the relationship with the person in the future. How do we go on from here? And sometimes we can't go on. So it's not always going to be possible. Uh, you may not know where they are. They might not be in your life. They've passed away. What do you do with the, the family member, the friend, the whomever, and they're now in eternity? You can't, there is no future relationship. So reconciliation, while it is the goal, and they could refuse. It's the goal, it's not always possible. Third thing, this is gonna sound like contradicting what I just said. Reconciliation isn't always desirable. Like there are instances where you say like, man, moving forward with this person um, isn't going to work. They're, they're unrepentant. They're still being harmful. Um, there is no change in, in their behavior or willingness to meet 
and and both compromise to to come to a conclusion and it, it's just not desirable again distinction you can forgive them i'm not saying well forget them hold on to it no in terms of relationship moving forward it may not be possible it may not even be desirable because of where they are right now or maybe you're in a place that is so hurt okay allow the holy spirit to bring his healing and forgiveness stay in that place of continuing when it comes up again and you hate him lord release me i i choose by faith in you by your power holy spirit to forgive and f reconciliation may take time and finally reconciliation just might not be safe it may not be safe if that person is still a serious risk to physical or or psychological you know impairment if they're still doing things that are re really wrong and must be stopped then reconciliation in that in that regard um you 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 treat them like a, a tax collector or a pagan that doesn't mean evil for evil we overcome evil with good jesus is never saying throw darts at them but he is leaving room to say there are certain people that are not in a spot where they're repentant and they're not they're not wanting to take steps and they're not safe okay in that regard i release them to god i forgive and say man you want me to be at peace with everyone but it's not always possible romans 12 18 if it is possible and the caveat as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone so jesus is saying take the initiative the spirit is saying you can because i'm going to enable you but there are there are points where you can't all right and i hope that's helpful again this is not bible and you always make that distinction what i read before that's just that's the word of god but this is my attempt to try to be helpful and i hope that is for you there are other things other resources if you come across and please share them with me i'd appreciate it okay so what what steps do we take forgiveness is about the event releasing them reconciliation is about rebuilding trust because when I've been hurt, when you've harmed me, when I've harmed you, relationships are built on trust. And when I have broken trust or you've broken trust, reconciliation is the pathway to rebuild that, that trust. Four steps that you can take. I want to lay them out for you. Write them down. If this is not helpful today, maybe it's helpful tomorrow. The first thing is we must confess our sin. Forgiveness, reconciliation, it all begins with God. This is why I'm talking believer to believer, because we're, we're confessing our sin to Him, but also for real, genuine, restored of, from brokenness relationships requires that we confess our sin one to another, that we, we own it. And until we're at the point where we're willing to confess and own what's ours, there's no way to rebuild trust. I mean, you know this. This is like, I don't have to tell you this. We know this from experience. The person who has harmed you, who doesn't even recognize it, or when they're told it, doesn't see it or make excuses, how can I trust you again? I can't. And I won't, actually. The, I, I, I need a pathway so that trust is earned. It's, it's not lighthearted. I'm giving you myself, my family, my time, my heart. And so I need to know that we're all broken, but I need to know that you're going to own it and you're willing to work to rebuild trust. Now, what does confession of sin look like? I, I've gotten this from Gary Bashir's. It's super practical and helpful. First thing, I need to acknowledge the hurt. To confess means I acknowledge that I harmed you. You acknowledge that you harmed me. Second, 
I need to take responsibility for the hurtful act. I need to own it, not, not undermine it, not, not talk around, I need to own it. Third thing, I need to express remorse. It has to be more than, I'm sorry, I got, I got caught. Genuine confession is acknowledging the hurt, taking responsibility for the act, and expressing remorse. No excuses, not like, okay, now that I have to, this is, this is mine. And there's a promise, the fourth thing, there's a promise for restoration and change. It's future forward too. Now, I, I don't know what the future holds, but what I am saying is, hey, now that I know that what I've done, now that I recognize that I have hurt you, I will not. And, and if there needs to be restitution because I've taken something from you, uh, if it's financial, I'm, I'm paying it back. If it's with honor, I am, I'm paying it back. If I've disrupted something, I'm doing my part to say that I, I will, I will as, as much as I can, I will take steps with you to make sure that that's restored, okay? So, so that, that's what we're talking about when we're saying confessing our sin. Second thing, that, that was all under number one, you know, four, four, four. I got numbers all over the place, forgive me. First thing, we need to confess our sin. The second major thing that we need to do is we need to decide how. This isn't just going to happen. What needs to happen for trust to be built and what is the first step or the first two steps? And, and when it comes to reconciliation, you need to think that through and both sides need to think that through because where trust has been broken, you can't immediate, you know, what we want out of ignorance, honestly, is we want just hugs and kisses and everything. Hey, it's all right. Like it just never happened. I'd like to say that that, that will happen, but depending on the nature of the offense, whoa, you, you may have gone from here to here, like way out here. All right, we need to decide how together, maybe we're going to come to here, right? But I know I want to be close like we were again. Chill. There needs to be time and healing, but we, we can agree, especially, you know, when you're talking about a marriage relationship or where there's children involved and there's been major hurt, both sides need to think through, well, I, can it be the way it used to be? And actually it can't. And it may never go fully to where it was, but we can move, the heart of God is we can move closer, okay? So, so we need to decide how. The third thing is we need to come together. Um, you know, it can't just be phone and text and you're, you're good, you're good, you're good. At some point we need to come together. This is where I would recommend a third person is often helpful. Bring in a third person and, or two or three other people and help navigate that together. We need to learn to communicate vulnerability. We need, to, we need to open up ourselves to one another. We need to be honest with one another. We, we need to work on our communication because we can't assume the other person gets what we're feeling. Now, I'm a feeling person, so you can't transfer that. So I need to own what's mine and learn to communicate. And if communication has been a challenge for me, I need to bring in another person to help work with me. This is where a counselor, this is where a therapist, this is where a Christian friend, a community group leader, a pastor, someone to help you make sense of what you're saying and make sure the other person is getting what you're saying and understanding you. Because so many times we're like, we're talking over each other. We're saying words, we think people are understanding it and we're actually missing each other and causing further harm. All right, the fourth thing is stay positive. And this is so important. This is gonna take time 
Forgiveness can happen in, in a moment and moments. I release this to God and God can come and, and truly help me and empower me to forgive you right now. And then when it comes up again, he can give me the power to continue to walk in that forgiveness and not live out a lie like, I actually never forgave you. Yes, I did. The, the Spirit can do that. Reconciliation is going to take much longer. And trust is earned over time and with, with good behavior. When you now live in a new way, when you live out your promises, when you do what you said you'd do, then I can trust you with more and more and more. And again, I'm talking about people within the church. Now that's four things we need to remember, four things that we can, we can do. This is just the beginning. What I am saying is hopefully this stoked something within you that says, you know what, I can. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. We are a family, reach out. Reach out to your, your community group. If you're a part of one, that's a great place to start. Reach out to another Christian friend. Reach out to the church team. Reach out to the pastoral team. Reach out to those who are Jesus-loving and professional, professionally experienced in this and have, have thought through and really worked hard to prepare themselves to help you navigate. Get the help that you need and begin with taking the initiative because the work of reconciliation, hear me, is an act of worship. This isn't just fluffy stuff. This isn't a sideshow. This is, God has reconciled us in Jesus Christ and has given us the work and the message of reconciliation. God can come in and he can make brokenness whole again. He really, really can. I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in people in this church and it's possible for you as well. Um, now, here's a side note. We have to remember when it comes to uh, racial reconciliation and what's happening in our country today, all of this speaks to that because now we can see why this is so hard. Can't we? We can see why this is so difficult. Let me go through the grid of questions just again. If it begins with a confession of sin, let's just think about this. Have we acknowledged the hurt? When it comes to racial tension, this, this has to do with all sorts of broken relationships. Have we recognized the hurt that has happened? Or we just glossed over it? Well, that was the past. Well, until someone recognizes how someone's been harmed, how, how can the harmed person work towards reconciliation? Have we taken responsibility for hurtful acts? Again, now I think we have a better chance to see why this is so important. Have we ex expressed genuine remorse? Not just, I'm sorry that it showed up. I'm sorry that the riots happened or I'm, I'm sorry that a few people were hurt or even killed. Can you see why? And again, if you haven't been on the side that's been harmed, you actually, I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. Now, so many want to just excuse and say, well, well, they're just playing the victim. Okay. Can you even see why even making that statement blocks reconciliation? Be be because unless you recognize hurt and unless you recognize that the hurt has happened, unless you have remorse that the hurt, even if you didn't inflict it, if you, unless you have remorse, and have we promised restitution and change? And I think that's why we're at this cultural spot where I think people are tired of hearing, man, we've made progress. Why are you complaining? Uh, because there's been a lot of broken promises, haven't there? And there's been a lot of repeat offenses. 
And so when it comes to race, when it comes to any relationship, your marriage, your friendship, let's pray that by the power of the Spirit, He'll step in and give us the power to take the initiative and move forward. I think the right response is just to plead with God. And I, as we move towards communion, as we move towards response and worship, we need God to come in and change us so that we can be God's people of change. Lord, we confess that we have sinned before you. And Lord, we want to hide, but we choose not to right now and say we have been as guilty as anyone else in the hurt and brokenness around us. And now, Holy Spirit, we, we're going to move towards the bread and the cup, the reminders that you have, you have brought us back in Jesus. Jesus, your death and resurrection has created a way for us to be made right with you. And now because we are walking with you in the power of the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, enable us to see our own guilt and our own hurt and our own wrongful acts. And Lord, we want to experience that rightful remorse so that we can be at peace with our brother and sister again. Lord, do it in our lives. Do it in this church. Do it in our relationships. Do it in our city, our country, and in our world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.